2: Hey out there, rock and rollers, welcome to the 63rd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road, where we are talking about everything, classic rock, hard rock, prog rock, heavy metal, early MTV, and more, the things that touch me, the wolf, and my partner in crime, Action Jackson, over the course of our lives. We are just two rock and roll fans who have an unquenchable thirst for for all the knowledge and detail of rock music and its history, all the people who made it, and all the amazing music that's come out over the years. Now, when we started this thing, we didn't know anything about social media, and to be perfectly honest with you, we still don't really like most of social media. However, in building our Twitter fan base, and you can find us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72, We've really kind of developed a a nice community of fellow rock fans, folks who are like us, who have passion about the music they love, who have great memories of listening to these tunes, finding the music, seeing these bands live over the course of our lives. And we don't want those memories to fade. We want to continue to learn more and more about rock and roll and and share it with others who are like-minded. And so that's been one of the biggest benefits of doing this show for over a year now. We're a weekly show, and we're up to number 63. Here. So, yes, we've been doing this over a year and it's been a lot of fun. One of the folks that we've kind of communicated with and gotten to know over the last year is our friend Chris from Canada. And you might know him as My Rock and Roll Heaven on Twitter or at Rock These Tweets. He has a very nice Twitter following. And he's very active on there. He's given us great information on which albums were released on certain days and who's having anniversaries and what they did chart-wise, what they did sales-wise. The stuff that he loves overlaps with a lot of the stuff that we do. We're about the same age. So we had a lot of the same experience as far as when we heard this music for the first time, you know what it meant to us growing up, and, and how it has evolved in our lives over time. And we wanted to have him on the show for a while. And with this being the 35th anniversary of Guns N' Roses' big debut, Appetite for Destruction, we thought this was the perfect opportunity to have Chris on. And give us a little bit different perspective as far as how the Canadian fan got to know Guns N' Roses, because for me and Jackson, it was easy. It was MTV. That's, we were way into MTV. You get a video on MTV, and it blows you up, right? And although Welcome to the Jungle eventually became a big hit, it didn't kind of come out of the gate as a big hit. It took some time. It took some intervention by Mr. David Geffen to get them on MTV, but then once they did, they blew up into the biggest band in the world. But then, after a five-year run, They kind of went away, right? They made, as far as I'm concerned, two and a half records. This one, Appetite for Destruction, huge debut with big hits on it. Then they did Lies, which was half new stuff, half live stuff that they already had laying around. And then they did the Use Your Illusion albums, which... Yes, there's two albums, but about half of that is not that good, so you boil that down into one good album, and there's your two and a half albums. Then they made The Spaghetti Incident, which was a covers album, which they didn't need to do, since they already had a bunch of covers anyway. And then they went away! And it was just the Axel show as everyone, Izzy, Duff, Slash, eventually all left the band, and it was just Axel with a bunch of other guys, and it took him, I don't know, 15 years or and lots of players to make Chinese Democracy which was basically overlooked. I'll admit I've never even heard it because, sorry, Axel, you missed your window, pal. And obviously, Axel became notoriously difficult to work with. So we're going to explore their big debut, the one that set them on fire and made them huge all over the world. And we're glad to introduce our listeners to Chris because he's a super guy. He loves rock music. Even though recently on Def Leppard Pod with our buddy Neil, he basically said you could take action, not words, off of Pyromania which we had to have a problem with, right? I mean, that's Action's Def Leppard theme song. We used to sing that in the dorm before we would go out and party. So, no, that's not why we bumped him a week. We just wanted to get Neil Young out a week earlier because he was in the news and thought people might want to hear about his best albums while he's taking on Spotify and Joe Rogan. But we're really happy to have Chris on this week, and we're going to go in-depth on Appetite for Destruction, and we're going to rank our songs 12 to 1 on the album, which is gonna be interesting. I think there'll be some surprises on there for you. So let's get into it. It's Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction with Chris from Rock These Tweets, here on The Wolf. (laughs) Let's go back then, let's let's get back into 1987 when this was released, you know, because this comes out in 87, it doesn't run right off the charts, it kind of takes a year to build momentum and they have to get David Geffen, the head of the label, to use his power in the industry to finally get him on MTV, which helps them break. For me and Jackson, 87, 88, that's like our freshman year of high school. So, and we're into rock and roll, but we're, we're starting to distance ourselves from... The kids who just like pop music or just whatever MTV is feeding them or whatever, you know, and and not the R&B stuff. We like rock and roll, and we're starting to get into some other things. And then when this hits, because there's a lot, there's Bon Jovi's around... With the teased hair, and they're good looking, and they're still the crew is still pretty big at that point, right? So, there is some good hard rock out there. But when these guys hit, and then Aerosmith back in a big way, they're back and better than ever, right? In fact, Guns N' Roses opened for them on that tour. And so, uh, when these guys come out, I don't, it's kind of like they fit into the LA scene, but there was something different about them. Like, they were just a touch above. On the musician side, and a touch below, I feel like, on the sleaze side. Like, even Rat and Motley Crue weren't as sleazy as these guys were, right? But what was exactly. it like, um, you know, your impressions in, in Toronto in
4: 87, 88? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, uh, man, it takes me back to reliving some great memories. Like you guys said, 87, 88. I was in high school mm. as well, so I was uh, you know that would have been grade eleven for me around there, and it was an interesting time because I had gotten into uh, you know pop music and all that stuff through the early eighties, and I was I had been listening to a lot like my favorite bands were like Survivor, and uh, you know I loved all the all the pop music of the time. Mm-hmm. Where I grew up, I actually grew up um, north of Toronto in a smaller city, and it was interesting growing up in an environment where. So back then, we obviously didn't have, you know, the social media we have now and you could find songs at the drop of a hat and pull something up. So where I grew up, we had three radio stations. Two of them were like top 40 pop, one was country, right? right. So I didn't have access easily to a lot of hard rock and metal. What what gate opened the window to me for that in 1984 was we had our version of MTV launch called Much Music. Right. Okay, yeah. Right. So video played a huge part for me. Up until that point, I wasn't, you know, I could go to the local record store and we'd, I'd see like, you know, the latest Iron Maiden album sitting on the shelf and the cover would terrify me. Right. right? I was like, wow, what the heck is that? <laughs> sure. And so I didn't, I, I didn't get into that kind of stuff until the advent of music video. So I was, you know, I was listening again to, like you said, a lot of pop music and much music was really what opened up the world of all of this stuff to me, you know, crew and leopard and white snake and Aerosmith. And it was a show called the Pepsi power hour, which played hard rock metal videos at four o'clock in the afternoon for an hour after school. Nice. Right. So that was what was happening kind of in my musical spectrum back in, in that time. So like you said, you know, summer of 87, when this comes up, I had been into permanent vacation, right. It was huge. Right white snake self-titled album was mm. massive we were oh, yeah. playing that constantly girls 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 to come out from the crew all that stuff so 87 was a huge hard rock and metal year for me i had really delved into all of this while still listening to a lot of other stuff and this record when it came out quite honestly you know this was released at a time when also hysteria was released a couple weeks later right and it's interesting that both of these albums like you said did nothing
2: right right? out of the gate when they
4: came right out of the gate did nothing. nothing and we you know in north bay where i grew up this small city we didn't hear any of this on the radio so you know this was not in anybody's wheelhouse people weren't playing it at school you wouldn't I've asked anybody in the summer of 87, you know, who Guns N' Roses was. I don't know if it was different in the States and there was a little bit of buzz. But for me, where I was, this didn't hit anyone's radar. Even hysteria really didn't either. But, you know, Appetite for Destruction was certainly way down the list. And, you know, quite honestly, the first time I remember even hearing anything about it was probably not until 1988, like earlier earlier in 88 and a friend of mine who had actually lived in Europe had moved back and they had actually heard it oh, really? and were on top of it. Well, at least he was. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, here, here where I was, I was plugging away completely oblivious to the fact this band was out. He comes back from Europe and has this cassette and was like, Oh my God, you got to hear this new band guns and roses. And he played me welcome to the jungle. This is probably like spring of 88. So what the album had been out for seven months or more. Yeah. Right. And, I think, like you said, uh, Mac. I think what had happened with it was there was literally no in the U.S. There was no radio play for it, right? Right. I think even MTV didn't really even want to play the videos. No, they did not. I think was
2: they didn't fit the whole Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Pretty Boy image. They were too dirty for MTV
4: they were too yeah exactly I think the the media didn't know what to do with them like MTV at that time right they didn't get play on radio so it was uh it was one of those things like they were about to be I think almost abandoned by the label was going to be like you know screw it they'd sold a couple hundred thousand copies and they were gonna be out but back to my where I heard this like I heard this my friend played me this this great song welcome to the jungle like which i think still has one of the best opening riffs of all time absolutely and i was like wow this is fantastic so that's when it kind of first hit my radar like seven or eight months after the release but it wasn't something again that i went out and clamored for and was like oh my god i gotta find this record it was more of just a slow kind of burn into it and i can tell you that you know in my immediate circle and just overall you know with you know my class in high school and the what was going on there I don't remember anyone of my peers here in my social circle talking about it at that point, okay. listening to it, which is interesting, right? Because, you know, it really was, like you said, a something different that whether or not we had all been just, you know, kind of set in our mode of, you know, we had our crew, we had our White Snake, we had our Aerosmith, and we weren't open to listening to something else or whether or not it just at that time, it hadn't just quite gotten that extra push, which it did when sweet child of mine came out. Right.
2: Right. Right. Well, Jackson, tell me a little bit about your kind of first discovering of, of GNR. And was it, was it the video? Was it the welcome to the jungle video? Or did you hear it on the radio or what happened?
1: No, I think the first time I was trying to remember this going into this, the first time that I heard, I think I had heard about them kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, in the ether somewhere, but then I remember, I saw the sweet child. Oh, mine video on mtv and i said i don't really i mean the song is eh, but these guys look really cool you're right they weren't like they weren't the glam guys they looked greasy they looked like they kind of just woke up probably smelled like three days worth of bo and cigarettes and yeah it was just like wow this the song is not great but the but the the look is just cool You know, everybody knew they were from L.A., like the club scene from L.A. They had the street cred. And then a little bit after that, that movie, The Deadpool, came out. Remember, it was a Clint Eastwood and Welcome to the Jungle was in that. And that was kind of the first time I had heard that. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Yes. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And then somehow I ended up with a copy of the cassette tape. I don't know whether I kind of, you know, sticky fingered it from somebody or I don't know where I got it from, but I listened to that front to back, forever. Once I got a hold of this, because it was just, it was fantastic. You know, we did a show on Doors, LA Woman, and we did a show on uh, the Eagles, Hotel California, and they kind of painted this picture of, you know, ooh, you know, it's mystical, and it's so nice out on the West Coast, and LA Woman, how I love the city of LA. This was, LA is a hellhole, <laughs> right? disgusting, just, you I mean, you're going to, it looks beautiful, but it's got this underbelly, and I, I was just, it was fantastic. I could not get enough of this because they were—they just, just seemed like the real deal. They didn't seem like they were posers. I mean, we talked about hysteria. I love hysteria, but it's super polished. It's—it's yep. it's like glass. This is not that. This is raw. Right. The, and these were five guys who were. Yeah, you can kind of get stuck on a- Slash and Axle, but Duff, Izzy, and Steven Adler are definitely giant parts of this band. And once they kind of well, once uh, Adler and Stradlin left the band, it was never the same.
2: Yeah, definitely after Izzy left, it it was yeah. not
1: the same. Yeah, no, I,
2: I I'm with you. I mean, here's the thing: "Sweet Child of Mine" doesn't come out till the summer of '88, right? right? So I seem to remember there was controversy about the cover. There's the original cover that they really wanted to put out, which is basically like a robot that's raping a woman, but then mm. there's some kind of horrible creature that's going to punish the raping robot. I'm like, yeah, that was never going to work,
1: right? Well, that, that, no. Nope. That Walmart's of artwork, not putting
4: that on the shelf. Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: that piece of artwork is actually titled Appetite for Destruction, and so that's where they got the name from. Yeah, you're right. The, the PMRC and the yeah, Walmart people are like, no. I don't know what this is, but it's not going into the into the stores. And I think Rose already had that tattoo on his arm of the cross because oh, wow. I guess he was a big Thin Lizzy fan. So he really loved the Celtic cross. And so I think he got a lot of crap, like, Oh, you got the, you know, you got the tattoo because of the album. He's like, no, the album was because of this. They had a kind of last minute punt, this thing into right. the stores. Right.
2: Exactly. But then, you know, you put a cross on there and there's going to be groups in America who don't like that either. Like, so, so that was controversial too. I remember that getting pressed before he even really even knew Who the band was. And I may have, I may have been like you, Jackson, that I heard Sweet Child of Mine first, but I remember the video Welcome to the Jungle. I saw that before. And they weren't gonna play it on MTV. And Geffen himself basically had to push them and say, look, just run it three times this week, like at three in the morning or something like that. Just sneak it in there when no one's watching anyway. Of course, Metalheads gotta look at it, they gotta listen to it like you gotta play that. And, And it was most requested for the longest time. What was interesting about that video to me is that Axel has his hair all teased up, right? Yeah, it, a little
4: glam, right?
2: Yep, just like all the other kids on the Sunset yep. Strip did back then. Everybody looked like that. But that's not really the way he usually looks. And he never looked like that ever again in any video, ever photo shoot, ever. It's the straight, you know, uh, red hair with the bandana around it. And, and that's his look. But so it kind of shows like, they're doing what they have to do to try to make it. It's like, okay, I got to have my t- hair teased up like Kip Winger. Fine, I'll do that, you know, if you'll get us on MTV. But then after that, they're like, no, nah, we're going to go down as ourselves. And I think that really helped their authenticity as far as connecting with with the audience that they eventually would.
4: Yeah, they're. you know what, they're... In relation to the what you're talking about there with the glam, they had that glam look for a bit. They did a bit of the makeup. And with the scene that was going on at the time, right, where glam metal and I hate to say it hair metal was massive. massive. They were kind of like the anti they were the anti glam metal band at the time that everybody I think once they did, uh, you know, get that initial. Once Welcome to the Jungle came out on MTV, and they got that initial exposure. I think there was almost like people were so it was everywhere, right? Like it was glam metal was just like that. Every band was coming up, looked the same. Right. A lot of it, that's you know we started to talk about, or we were you could talk about the kind of like the decline of that genre almost started, I think, with Appetite for Destruction and Guns N' Roses coming out in the sense that they were completely a 180 away from that, dirty. They looked, like you said, like they just crawled out of the gutter in LA off the Sunset Strip. And I think a lot of the fans at that time, once they realized who Guns N' Roses were and what the music was, were like, this is so different, so cool, that that's when it started to explode. And the Sweet Child of Mine thing, like, I mean, you launched that song in the summer of 88 and instantly you've got the female fans now too, right? right? Cause it's a, it's a ballady song kind of, right? It's more approachable. And I think that probably, that was the point when I think Guns N' Roses became the band of the time right there. I know for me, when summer of 88 hit and Sweet Child of Mine hit, that's when it exploded from that point through till probably like the end of 89 up here, you could not go anywhere without see that video i think played like every hour right. <laughs> on the hour on much music like you said it was the it was uh it was all over mtv the song was everywhere and you couldn't escape guns and roses and that's that album for i would have been in grade 12 at that point that was like every single kid in my high school had a copy of Appetite for Destruction, mm-hmm. and that was all we listened to for, like, a year.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then right. they backed that with Paradise City. The next sim- uh, single was Paradise City, which maybe is filmed at Donington, or it was filmed in front of a big crowd. Well, were you huge. Know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they're already enormous at that point. And, and, of course, I guess they played the last Donington because a couple people died there. And then after that, they said, yes. Okay, we're not going to do that anymore, which is kind of too bad because... As someone who now lives in the UK, I might like to go see a Donington summer show. But
1: I'd I, love to. That's a bucket list Donington for me. That would be amazing, <laughs> you know. You know, the other thing is you were talking about like the glam rock, and even even back to Sweet Child of Mine. The first thing that really struck me was how you know Slash was playing the Les Paul, which looked awesome. And then Izzy had the big, what was that? Like an ES three, five, five or something. That like Black a hollow Molly. Yeah. 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 And it just, look, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't the BC rich. This wasn't the, uh, you know, the kind of the cheese metal stuff. These guys, they, they just look legitimate. They look like a band you would want to go see and party with afterward. If you could handle the ride. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, definitely, I felt more akin to them than say poison. You know, it's right. like those guys all teased and tarted up. I'm like, I wouldn't want to look like that even for millions of dollars. But, like, the Gunners are like, yeah, I, I could look like that. I just don't bathe for a while and, and wear some leather. And, yeah, I, I could I could dig that. Even though I was a really look, look. straight, clean-cut kid, I, it just seemed like that they were more human than the other guys were somehow. I was, was
1: going to say, to me, the, the bands like Poison and even Whitesnake, it, it looked like they – like it was kind of like a like a persona they would put on okay, okay yes. you gotta get ready okay let's get the hair right these guys look like you could draw you could run into them at two in the afternoon or two at night and they'd look exactly the same they could just get up on stage and play you know come on let's have one more drink and do it so yeah, they, they they just seemed a lot more authentic than the, some of the other bands at that time
4: definitely yeah exactly and i think they uh they were definitely you know one of those bands that lived exactly how <laughs> they, they, you know That's right. they practice what they, they practiced what they preached and uh, kudos to them for I remember watching oh it might have been the behind the music that I just watched uh, you know talking about the recording process of this album and Mike clink the producer <laughs> literally like you know <laughs> trying to get these guys in with their party lifestyle to actually get this album done was a challenge on its own right like you know they are living the life they are partying like there's no tomorrow and he's like we got to get this album recorded (laughs) somehow someone's gonna die right yeah yeah right
2: exactly but that's part of their authenticity too like blackie lawless he's this demonic guy with you know fire shooting out of his crotch but it's all an act And when he gets off he goes back to being todd or whatever his real name is and you know (laughs) he reads books and stuff like that like you know I was reading, I was doing the notes for this show. It's like, Izzy Stradlin did go ahead and graduate from high school with a D average. He is the only member of Guns N' Roses to have graduated from high school. I'm like, that's, wow. that's, that's Guns N' Roses
4: right there, man. You know? That's crazy. <laughs> this is Neil from Daflat and You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London, a rock podcast.
2: Well, let's let's get into the album a little bit. Yeah, and, sure. And we can talk a little bit about how it was put together. I mean, you know, Live Like a Suicide was kind of a four or five song thing that they'd put out because you know Geffen's like they're not ready to make a whole record yet. You know, in '86 or whatever that was. And and Paul Stanley from Kiss actually worked yes. with them, flirted with Axel for a while, helped him change some some songs around, and uh, he was going to produce them before they got Clink on there. I, I never knew that before doing research for this.
4: Yeah, did you know that Spencer Proffer, too, was helped them out? Quiet Riot's producer.
2: Well, I, I read that, too, you know, getting yeah. into this. I'm like, it's either they were so great, they attracted all this talent, or it was like, nobody really knew what to do with them, so we tried what would stick to the wall, right?
4: I think that's probably the case. It's like, what do we, like, Paul Stanley, can you imagine? I think he probably would have been like, <sighs> <laughs> right, I'm out. Like, I don't know what to do with these guys.
2: After 10 minutes, like, geez, you guys are all Ace Fraley. Like, I got to like, go, you know?
4: Can you imagine, though, how different this album would have sounded if Paul Stanley had actually – well, I don't think it ever would have happened. Right. But –
1: that's my yeah. there was some, uh, I read something about and I don't know if this ever really was a, a true thing but they had floated the idea of Mutt Lang mm-hmm. doing oh my flow. god are you and kidding me the same thing like that just never would have happened he would have just he would have just strangled them because it, the the perfection that he has the, although one of the big pain points I guess was Axel's vocals on this he wanting to record basically a line at a time right. I just don't think it would have worked out with uh, with mud I
2: I don't think they wanted to spend I don't think Geffen wanted to spend the money on Mutt and I don't think Mutt would have lasted long with the boys either from what I can plus he
1: had to do Hysteria so it all worked out exactly Exactly. All right,
2: but you start off guys you start off with this welcome to the jungle like you say (sighs) this could be the best intro to any album ever but then when you put it in, it's their first it's their debut album it's like who are you what are you about tell us and it's like running with the devil van halen but that's got this kind of thump plotting to it it doesn't have the magic of eruption or some of the other songs it's like it's a build up to what you're going to get to welcome to the jungle punch <laughs> you in the face here we go exactly. we're on the train 100 miles an hour right and it and it's an anthem welcome to the jungle you're going to die
1: <laughs> and and it is it it really helps in the days of the M- of MTV to have that visual of axel rose getting <laughs> off the off the bus with the you know the in his in his mouth just like hey golly and then just oh my god what did i just get myself into this is this is not what i thought it would be this is just the you know there's hookers going by there's guys trying to sell him drugs right off the bat yeah it's just i mean that's what you wanted but yeah to your point mac just that that intro riff I kind of got away from this song when I was listening to it back in high school, just because it was, I thought it was overplayed. Oh, Um, interesting. But now I I would actually skip all the three, the big singles um, while I was listening to it. But this just going back to it and listening to it again, yeah. The intro riff is just, there is no warm-up. They throw you right under the bus on this thing.
2: Yeah, and Slash is super heavy on this one, I feel like. That intro is hot. I guess that, you know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby! It's like some homeless guy screamed that at him in New York. (laughs) You know, like he went to New York City as a young man and, and he was, you know, goofing off. And he's like, you know where you are, kid? You're going to die. And he's like, yeah, that's a good lyric right there. I'll file that one away for later. But you can't deny that it it really launched them. However, not dissimilar to Def Leppard's Hysteria, that was not the first single off the album.
4: No. And you know what? I didn't know that for years. I, had, I thought it was. I know. I well, no yeah. Idea.
2: First one I heard, but the first one they released was kind of the double A side, It's So Easy, and uh, and Mr. Brownstone, which was released in the UK, which actually, yeah. it didn't do great. It, it got maybe to the top 100, but as our friend Neil tells you, if you don't make it to the top 40, it doesn't really matter. You know, it, yeah, no one really hears it. But I, I always thought that was interesting. Like, why did, they cho- why did they choose those two? Obviously, they know Welcome to the Jungle's Great Statement, because it's the first song on side A, or... Side G As it was They didn't have A and B They That's had right. Side G Brilliant, and R right? <laughs> Very tricky boys
4: Yeah that Those I think you know what That those two That released as a double A single Or whatever in the UK I think it just speaks to the The record company The label etc Having no idea mm-hmm. What the hell to do with this band Like I think there was a period of time Where obviously They were so different And dangerous And right. uh what do we do with them? Like who, who's going to, how do we, how do we launch a band like this? And you know, the, the album, I think again, like I said, I didn't know anything about it for months, but I think even in the U S when they released the album at the end of July or whatever it was that it wasn't released to like big boom media push with billboard ads and like plastered everywhere. Right. It was like a trickle. It just kind of, it just got, okay, it's going to come out. Right. And then, you know, nothing happened with it. So I think that's probably the case. I mean, that's just my own personal opinion, but I think it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, let's just put it out there, you know, let's see what happens. Right? And nobody got behind it out of the get-go, which is, you know, looking back now is like, you can't I can't believe it exploded like it did based on the fact that it took literally months for anyone from the label, etc., to actually get the train going. But yeah, interesting. Like that it's so easy in Mister Brownstone. Two great songs, yeah, like two great songs. But to your point, like releasing those as the first single from an album that, you know, Welcome to the Jungle obviously is the introduction that you want to have for this band, <laughs> absolutely, right? So yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like I bet you, label and management people look back now and like, what were we thinking? <laughs>
2: I know. And I, I will say, though, it, when they kind of bring it down in the middle where it changes pace a little bit, there's a quick, you know, there's a quick yep. cowbell from Stephen. Maybe the best use of a cowbell outside of Don't Fear the <laughs> Reaper and Honky Tonk Women, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but that's just me. Um, what's also interesting is, that, you know, back in the day, they credited all songs written by Guns N' Roses. Since then, it's kind of filtered out who actually wrote these songs, and, and that right. was Slash and Axel together. But the second song, It's So Easy, was one that Duff had written with a guy who was Wes Arkeen, like, prior to being in Guns N' Roses, and then they kind of outfitted it for, um, uh, you know, for the record. But, I mean, this is, this it, once you hear it, this is pretty dirty and sleazy, talking about how girls take care of them, which was common on the Sunset Strip. If you were a good-looking guy, or even a terrible-looking guy in a band, yeah. girls would work straight jobs and basically support you, Give you money for food, give you money for booze and drugs let you borrow all their hair care and makeup products for the stage, right? And that was just what they needed to do. But, you know, obviously you get, eh, looking back 30 years later and some of these misogynistic tones. At, at oh, first, yeah. I thought it was a hilarious song back in the day. Now I'm like, well, this is even kind of ugly, even for dirty rock and roll, you well, know what I mean?
1: Just the concept, because I was listening to this again, it's so easy when everyone's trying to please me. Like just having that mentality of, yeah, I mean, I just, I do what I want. And I, yeah, I get these throwaway people in my life that i can use and abuse and throw them out yeah it doesn't it's of the time but you're right it, it does not this one especially doesn't age well
4: <laughs> yeah the uh the, i mean the lyrical content of a lot of their stuff right has not aged well but at the time like you said it was of the day and you know personally listening to this as a 16 year old back then i didn't even make it con- honestly didn't even make any connection to some of the you know shall we say now, inappropriate or misogynistic yeah, or yeah. racist. Remember there was an issue with, you know, some of the other songs oh, on sure. lies oh, with guns yes. lyrics and yeah, it got a little crazy, but it, that was what was happening then. And that's what partly, you know, you get, like they say, there's, you know, bad publicity is good publicity, right? Like, and that's right. I think it just attracted when a lot of that stuff was being talked about, like the lyrics. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't exactly, you know, what people were used to potentially, and it was causing a little bit of an uproar, you know, well, and the whole I, PMRC thing going on at the time. Right. To me, that's like, you slap a warning label on this about lyrics? Oh, I'm buying it now.
2: It's like, yeah, free sales booster, man. That's what 86 is like, yeah, put it on my record, man. I'll, I'll make the lyrics worse so you will
1: put it on there, you know? Totally. <laughs> Didn't, uh, I think Steven Tyler said that during some kind of award ceremony, he wanted to thank Tipper Gore and the PMRC <laughs> for guarantee if I use the F-bomb on my record, it will sell a million copies because yeah. Uh, yeah, you yeah you saw that like parent you know explicit lyrics. <gasps> oh, I gotta have
4: that. That's I want have every that. record I have to.
0: Have yeah, that on exactly. It. Yeah.
4: But what's but what also like I mean you know back then you know again these guys and specifically talking about this album and the writing. Like you said earlier, Mac, like these guys are writing about like that, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, the mm-hmm. streets, LA, the sleeves, all that stuff, which, you know, by 87, 88, and all the, the glam metal going on, you know, this was a welcome change and refreshing. And, you know, songs like "It's It Ain't Easy, or, you know, it's, it's So Easy, sorry, just become like this completely different musical experience from the way it sounds to the lyrics when you listen to them, like you said, you know, this was fresh, this was dangerous, and it mm-hmm. was like man, I need, I need to get more of this, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And third song, Night Train. We all know what Night Train is. It's the cheapest wine there is. You know, we've been yeah. teenagers before. We, we've had our taste. like, okay, right. let's stay away from that. But you can great. see him sitting in the gutter, like, behind somewhere in the strip, all of them passing the bottle around. I'm on the nitrate! And, like, I believe that happened. It's basically the way the song came together, I
1: think. percent yeah. 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 Yeah, and this has got a great intro, just that, you know, bump, 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 and then that first riff, or the first chord, and then it goes into the song, and while It's So Easy is about debauchery with other people, this aged unfortunately really well because i yep. was in atlanta for a football game a couple of a couple of weeks ago and went to a club and unfortunately drank too much and i woke up the next morning and i was like i literally said in my head ready to crash and burn i, I never, never learned son of a gun here we are it's so true and, and just that just that concept of loaded like a freight train fantastic <laughs> is that an yeah. awesome lyric or what oh
2: yeah. my
0: goodness
1: Mm-hmm.
2: No, I love the riff and the rhythm on this one. This is yeah. a great, great song. Slash's jamming at the end of the song is really hot to me. I mean, I think yeah. he really brings it out on this one. And, and, you, and you'll, you'll see, Chris, you know, we always have one or two that we forget. It's easy yeah. to remember the, the big singles, right? It, it's easy yeah. to remember your favorite deep tracks. There's always going to be some you forget. This isn't one of them. This is one that I always loved and has aged well, and I, I hold it in, in high esteem on this album.
4: Agreed. Agreed. I think it was the last single, too, if I recall. That's right. Released to rock radio. Two yeah. years
2: later, basically, Which after crazy, it came out.
4: Exactly two years later.
2: Which is unbelievable. I mean, you've got like six weeks now, and if the first single doesn't make it, that's it. There's no second single. It's crazy. Yeah.
4: Well, the <laughs> but, fact that this album spent the, the length of time that it did on the charts obviously speaks to... You know, I think it was like 180 or no 150 weeks or something. But, you know, when you've got like Night Train, which is one of the best songs on the record coming out as the last single, two years after it's been released.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, you got something here. You got something here.
0: That's
1: for sure. the, the great thing that they kind of attribute to Izzy Stradlin is he, he wrote a lot of the or he contributed a lot to the songs. Some would say he wrote a lot of the songs. But what they said is he just had the ability to float along like slash would play the bit and then he would just come whoop and drop some stuff in and fade in and out and give you exactly what you needed in the song kind of the i read something like he had the charlie watts coolest guy in the room vibe like didn't say a whole lot didn't but he just he just knew exactly what to do and i think on this one i can hear that kind of just that peppering in exactly what you need not trying to Talk over Slash, but just giving him a boost there.
2: Yeah, he put some flavor in there. Like the beginning of yeah. "Welcome to the Jungle." That's that's yeah. Izzy, you know, just right. putting a little texture in there while Slash is doing the riff. You know, it, it, they they well they meld well together.
4: This is Neil from Flat Pod, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast.
2: All right, number four, out to get me. This is Axel. Talk about his days back in Lafayette, Indiana when he was just a juvenile delinquent and he got arrested something like 20 times or something like that. Ended up doing about three months worth of time on many different little spots. And when they were really ready to ring him up for good, he's like, okay, I think it's time for me to go to L.A. and do this right. I think he had a troubled childhood. I mean, you know, the story is his father was a delinquent who was 21, got his 16-year-old mother pregnant then ditched her 18 months later after Daxel was born. Uh, he ended up getting murdered later in life. The, the guy who she married was a real tough Christian, you know, one of those people who you think he's instilling good values, but he beats them and maybe sexually abused his sisters. like, God, he came from a rough place. So it doesn't shock you that he might get into a band that sings this way and and lives this kind of lifestyle. But I think this is kind of... It's definitely an outlaw song. And obviously with a lyrics, like, so you could suck me? Well, hey, that's just being real probably straightforward
1: there Axel. <laughs> probably not something you want to say to the cops when they're arresting you that's but yeah. right but you know it. and 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 uh, again the, the time that this came out and and no i was never arrested as a high schooler let's get that let's get that okay. uh you yeah, took but to college kind of before that, you got arrested right jackson exactly right <laughs> before they caught up with me just having just that that as a teenage boy just hearing that, you know, out to get me. You know what, man? They are out to get me. World, and so you kind of had that—not really the connection, but kind of that—that—that that, that theme that was, you know, percolating through your
4: brain. Uh, you know, they're out to get me, but I'm innocent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, this again, like this, hearing. It. When you sit down and actually listen to all these songs, especially now, going back and listening to the content, the lyrics and all, like, out to get me. Like, a kid growing up at this time with this album, like, it, so many of these songs speak to you, right? Even mm-hmm. from the sense, like you said, you know, I wasn't uh, delinquent and wasn't arrested, but it was like, wow, like, you know, I'm feeling like everybody, my, you know, my parents don't get me, you know. Yeah. You know, I just need something to rebel against and like this is the soundtrack, right? For like It's
1: almost like it's almost like you had a friend and the friend yeah.
4: was this bad boy dude, You're like, yeah, I know this dude and he's bad and he does bad things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then this guy, you know, this is the guy that my parents don't want me hanging around with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, the out to get me is one of those again, man, it's a deep album cut, but man, like it's quite honestly like looking back on these songs now these 12 songs like it it is really a case of you know maybe not every single one of them but pretty close to all these could have been singles just in Mm -hmm. the sense of if you're talking about what a single is Mm -hmm. you know it's a great track there really isn't a weak song on this and out to get me is a great example of that right like it's it's the fourth track on the album it's got a great
1: riff to it at the beginning Yeah. Yeah. yeah right
4: yeah. yeah, and it certainly speaks to, again, like what a lot of kids at the time would have been like, yeah, this is what I want to hear, right? But right. again, you're not – radio isn't playing this stuff.
2: <laughs> right. No, you can't get it on the radio, you know. Can't can't get it on radio today,
4: you know, so.
0: Right, yeah. right, exactly.
2: Absolutely. Even Mr. Brownstone, which occasionally I might hear on the radio maybe late at night because there aren't Very necessarily late. bad words in it. But you're talking about heavy-duty – Contra, yes heroin addiction and basically i think izzy and slash were like this was our daily life you know like what a bummer it is to be on h uh, but i i back then i loved this song and i just you know the whole notion of I used to do a little but a little wouldn't do it then a little got more i'm, I'm like that's what addiction is that's obviously yeah.
1: what it is and and this one's got a really cool intro to it doesn't sound like anything else it's got that yeah 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 and then my wife gets mad too because I use the I don't worry about nothing. No, because worrying's a waste of my time. Like when she's like, "Are we gonna do it?" I'm like, "Nah, don't worry about that." So yeah, <laughs> just just another great again. Like again, like you. Oh, I know these. I know these guys, and they're you know dirt bags, and they live this dirt bag life. And you know, for a minute, you kind of just you're at the fence, and you kind of just look over like, "What's going on over there?" Oh, it's bad over there. Back down again. But yeah, just just a glimpse into what that lifestyle was like. And to your point, Mac. They they really did. They weren't just singing about it. They lived that. They they would have to you know like you said when they were recording, Clank would show up and be like, "What am I going to get today? Who's going to show up? Are they going to be ready to roll?" They <laughs> had that. What was that? Uh, what was that award show that it was Slash and uh, Z- uh, Z- the AMA went up there and they were American Music Awards yeah. wasted,
0: drunk. yeah,
1: yeah, Not just like like so like like wasted drunk. Like oh god, they were having a great time. Yeah, <laughs> oh, they, my god. they lived. They lived the lifestyle. I miss award shows
4: like that, by the way. Right,
2: know. (laughs) Award shows are so lame these days. But then you wrap up Side G, or Side 1, if you will, with Paradise City, and this was huge for them. Huge, huge, huge song, huge video. I think it was once this got released, then they really started to take off in America. Like, this is when it got up to, like, number two in the charts and, and started to sell hundreds of thousands a week, you know, sometimes. Over 30 million now, 18 million, a million in Canada. You should be proud of that. You
4: know? <laughs> Very rare does that happen. That's a diamond,
2: right? That's a diamond sale in <laughs> Canada. It's a diamond. Yeah. A
4: limited number of people have sold it. Uh, that's like one in, at that time, that'd be one in 24, 25 people bought.
2: Yes, that, exactly. Right? Wow. You know?
4: Yes. Okay. That's the give you an idea of the scope. That's pretty wow. impressive. Yeah, you know. Um, this is one of my favorite songs, though, on this album, for sure. Still is, too.
1: Yeah, and... And I think it's also kind of a—it's kind of an anthem, you know. As a again, as a a teenage boy listening to this, yeah, grass is green and the girls are pretty. That's what else do you want in life? I mean, it's fantastic. And and the other thing too of the of the video, if you put that into it at that giant festival, and we didn't have anything like that in America. No, uh, nothing that big and so to see something like that you're like wow wouldn't you love to be at that show and and be amongst all those people in this giant field listening to this yeah it just added to the mystique of the band it just kind of showed at that point in time how they were how how big they really were
4: yeah that video i think for me kind of solidified it cuz that, that was the video that showed off like this is gnr live right like right. this is right. what you're going to see at a, right. at a at a show and for me it was like this man like well, this band is I got to see these guys and they have a, an amazing live experience.
1: right? And the, and the other cool part about this thing too, is it kind of starts off like that, you know, like that Anthem, like take me down to the paradise, blah, blah, blah. And, but then it gets, then it gets nasty though. When he's talking about just yeah. the living under the, yeah. And, and you're right when he, in the video, like, I think he's got a hat on or something, he just takes it, throws it down and he starts saying, like, yeah, this, yeah, this is, it's a great, it's an anthem song, but it's also, like, hard and
4: nasty, too. And almost seven minutes long, right? Yeah. Which, for a single, to, well, I mean, Guns N' Roses has had some epic
2: Yeah, you know, November Rain's are, the longest song ever right. to hit the top ten, like,
4: ever. Exactly, yeah. but <laughs> again, like, it's, you well, know, that wasn't happening at the time. We had three-minute, you know, Talk Dirty to Me, all those, nah. right? And then this stuff, which is epic songs that just six minutes and 46 seconds, whatever it was, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that long of a song because it just grabs you and you're like into it and it's got so many different levels to it that, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, again, it's still one of my favorite songs from this album and it, it hasn't uh, to me, I know some people think, yeah, it's a little bit overplayed or whatever, but um, I'm of the mindset that this is kind of one of their signature tracks. No doubt. I agree. I, th- I would have
1: agreed with you back in the day. Like I said, I skipped this song when I was listening to it hard and heavy. But going back now, oh, interesting. Yeah, a, yeah it, because just because I had heard it so many times, right, right. But now I, I can appreciate it for being a, a just a yeah, great track and yeah. and the, one of their signature songs.
2: Well, it's it's been their show closer for more than thirty years because it, it does pick up to double time, like with two and a half minutes left. All of a sudden, it, they're going faster, right? It, which makes it a great yeah. way to kind of crescendo to bring the. The show to a close. I, I, I'm with you, Jackson. I just I got a little sick of it back in the day. Not to mention because Izzy and Axel were from Indiana, and I'm from a place called Louisville, Kentucky, which is south of Indiana. So many people in Louisville were convinced that it was about Louisville. Because, hey, they're from Indiana. They want to go down to the Paradise I'm like, no, man, they're talking about L.A. on a trip back from San Francisco. It's got nothing. You have no proof that Axl Rose even set foot in the city of Louisville. Not to mention, Indianapolis is south of Lafayette. Why wouldn't he be talking about that? You moron. That's so funny. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, look, it is definitely a signature song. It was great, huge back in the day, but it was one of those – like you say, like you said, Chris, it's like they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. So you better like them. But if there was one you didn't like, that was going to drive you nuts. And that was, this was kind of the one that did that to me. <laughs> right. All right. So we shift gears here to side two, to the R side. And by the way, yes, I did have this on cassette, but I didn't buy it. My class went on a school trip to Chicago. And we were on one of those big buses, like going around yeah. the city or whatever. And they had these like long things that you could use you tilt them that would help crack open the window or whatever Or you could bust the window out if there's a fire you had to get off or whatever and they just they move just a little bit and someone had left the cassette in there and I tilted it and out popped out popped appetite for destruction I'd never owned I'm like holy just not not the case just the cassette itself. Uh, okay. Like someone who probably stuck it in there so no one grabbed it while they were switching tapes on the on the previous trip or whatever. And I'm like, "Would you look at that? Free appetite for me." So that's when I got to I got to, to listen to all this. But
4: oh, that's a great story.
2: <laughs> they, they say that the first one is about violence and hard living and all that. The first side of the record, and the second side is about love and sex and you know stuff like that. So we start off totally. with. My Michelle. It's not really a ballad. It is about a girl. (laughs) But it's about uh, a girl, I guess, Michelle Young, who was buddies with Slash in high school and ended up hanging out with these guys, had a kind of long on-again, on-again, off-again relationship with Axel, And they were riding together in the car one day. Elton John's Your Song came on. She goes, wow, I wish somebody would write a song for me one day. So Axel obliged her. And then I guess he wrote one song that was too sweet. And it's like, that's not really the song I want to (laughs) make. so then he wrote this one about you get your coke for free and all that kind of stuff and and so she was immortalized by the song. I don't know what do you guys think about this the way you start off side two with this My Michelle here.
1: It's it's like you it's like you grab the handbrake and have a real quick left turn because this, you know, you have Paradise City woo and then you get into this. I love the way it starts off that kind of slow bum it, you, bum, bum 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 kind of sabbathy bum, 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 and then Bum, and Then it goes into the into the hard part, and then yeah, talking about you know you, you you're into porno now that your dad's not around, your mother's dead, and just this 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 story of this person. I mean, I didn't know if she was real or not back then, but just who has this who's fallen into kind of this horrible lifestyle and. Yeah, it's a love song to this person who I'm like, is this person even still alive? Like, it's just, it's just really, again, it's one of those, to me, it was one of those stories from the the, the hard side of LA that, you know, you, maybe you came there to live this dream, and you ended up it, having this kind of this nightmare of what was really happening.
4: Yeah, can you imagine as the person who was... the subject of this song you know this michelle yeah wow way to have your self immortalized forever right (laughs) my guns (laughs) and roses some of it right exactly exactly how it was happening no i like it as a song to kick off side two. right remember back in the day when you would put on a record and you put on the first side and you listen to it front to back and then you flip it over like i think it's a nice you know you had that like you said that big kind of paradise city like on, and then you flip the record over and you start side two, and it's this, which is kind of like a, you cleanse the palate a bit, and right. you jump into yeah. this one, which, again, it's one of those those songs on this album that, it's a deeper album cut, but not really to me, because I think, again, it's, it's a song that yeah, it would have been a weird choice for a single, and I know yeah. it's never going to be released as a single, but it's a it's a fantastic track. Like, yeah, you could,
1: you could definitely imagine hearing this, somebody yeah. playing this on the radio. Yeah, yeah playing, exactly. You know, maybe during, you know, it was later at night, you know, somebody who, came, maybe one of the cooler disc jockeys that was going to take you on a little bit of a ride, but yeah, it definitely could have been on the radio. Right,
2: for sure. No, she was very real, and she did party heavy. And I think she I, – I read an article, an interview with her from a guy who ran like a Guns N' Roses site or something, finally kind of tracked her down. And said, she's like, I got out of the lifestyle, right? Got out of L.A., <laughs> went and got married, had a couple kids. I'm a mom now. And like, okay, my son's in here. Let me get him out of here so I'm not talking about, you know, when I went to rehab and all the whole time. You know, it was kind of Exactly, interesting. exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm glad she made it, because not everybody from that time in that orbit did.
4: Sadly, no.
0: Um,
2: but next, think about you. This is one. This is the one that I really did forget about. I remembered the, the first chorus, but I don't remember the whole song. And Me too. I really like this one. You know, the, the interlude in the middle has uh, uh, on the chorus with the ringing guitars is very different than everything else on this album to me. And this is one that Izzy basically wrote on his own. And so uh, listening to this one was like, because I just figured, look, I'm going to remember these. And some of them I'm going to like, and some of them not. But I'm like, I... Truly, kind of forgot about this one, and this I think is really good, kind of because it stands out from the rest of them.
1: Yeah, I think it, you're right. This this is one where I mean, I, I know this this record back to front, but yeah, to hearing that again, it's not that I forgot about it, but I forgot how much I liked it. Yeah, and it, right. it's a little bit of a different, a little bit of a different vocal delivery from Rose, mm-hmm. which I think kind of overall, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. He's got a unique style, but he can change it up and down a little bit like I remember when Patience came out and yeah. I heard it on the radio and I was like wait a minute before like when he goes into it you can hear it. but at the beginning I'm like "Well, that's not that's not that's somebody else that's not Axel Rose but he can change his he can change his vocal stylings up and yeah you, you can kind of hear the difference of Izzy kind of writing this by himself too.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah this is a song for me exactly the same Mac that I had forgotten about like I quite honestly up until I listened to the whole album last week again Like front to back for the first time in a while right and i could not have told you prior to last week what this song sounded like i've completely forgot about it yeah um but it's a good song and i think it's one too that was an it was an older one right that izzy had kicking around i think so yeah Yeah. way back that they used to play in the early days that was in their set list and uh you know it's one that like you said, vocals, Axel's vocals are are great on it, mm-hmm. and it's one that I'll go back now and be like, oh, you know, I need to I need to play this one more because it's kind of I think it's the one song in the album that I think most people would say is like. I don't remember that one, or I don't listen to that one, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because it's it is a good song,
1: and it's also kind of a nice it's a nice change of pace from My Michelle. Also, like that was kind of a that was kind of a downer, and then now we're yeah. we're kind of ramping it back up again.
2: Yeah, I think I mean Slash used his SG on that My Michelle, like an old SG to kind of give oh, it a yeah. little darker Sabbath-y kind of thing to it. But he's back, he's kind of back on his on his Les Pauls for that. But okay, there's a reason a lot of people didn't listen to it because the next song is Sweet Child of Mine. And and there's your reason right there. Yeah. And and Sweet Child of Mine could not have been a bigger hit for them. Like you say, Chris, it got the girls into them. Like, welcome to the jungle. Okay, yeah, adrenalized boys are going to love that. But Sweet Child of Mine, even though it's not really a ballad... But that opening, which is not even that hard to play, very—it's an iconic opening. Oh
1: yeah, um, wasn't it like wasn't it some kind of like practice thing yeah. that Slash yeah. would do? And and they were like, no, that we should use that. He's like, no, that's I'm just noodling around. It was and a I joke. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the same thing with uh, with Dust in the Wind from Kansas. Yeah, that opening part. Or and Joe Walsh from watching. Life
2: in the Fast Lane. He's like, no, man, that's like a pat my yeah. head, rub my belly thing. That's not a song. <laughs> Glenn's like, no, yes it is. Yes it is. I'm going to write something to that right now. Uh, He's like okay there you go but it's amazing how that works sometimes like this is something i use it's a finger you know to get me warmed up to get my fingers ready to go it's like nope that's a hit song and we're going with that Um, yeah you
1: turn that you turn that practice deal into one of the most iconic riffs of the rock and roll era i mean there are people that have they could not tell you another guns and roses song and they know that
0: within a second Yeah. yeah correct
2: and slash's solo is is tight on it you know it's yeah. it's hot you know and, and when they bring it down low where do we go now and then they build it back up mm-hmm. I mean I can't imagine they ever did not do this song a- after they recorded it or, or even before that as soon as it was oh, in their people, repertoire
1: are you, talking about, are you talking about live
4: yeah yeah people oh, yeah. would riot if they didn't yep. play it live mm-hmm. that's yep. what you were waiting for which I, I guarantee you they probably are like we don't want to play this again anymore just like Def Leppard is like well we don't you know Sugar is like if you don't go to a if you go to a leopard concert and you don't hear pour some sugar on me, right? You're gonna riot. Correct. Same thing with this song. Yeah. But it's uh man, is it like probably one like you said, one of the most iconic riffs, that opening riff of his of all time. And the fact that it resonated with so many people propelled this album into the stratosphere, right? right? And was ubiquitous everywhere in the summer of eighty eight and couldn't turn on the TV without seeing the video and this song i think crosses over too right in terms of this is a song that you would hear at the time on top 40 yes. radio mm-hmm. yeah. i mean their only number one single it's going to be played everywhere right so yeah. it gave them that this is the this is the like soccer mom right <laughs> going out and just kind of like when extreme had more than words the soccer mom <laughs> oh, I gotta buy the album, and then we're blindsided when they heard the rest of it, right? It's throwing but, the garbage. Yeah,
1: it and, was. This, you know, it's it's funny too because you are talking about like top forty radio. You could hear the guy, you know, on the top, on the top forty, and hear the bad boys from L.A., Guns and Roses, with "Sweet Child." Right? Oh my, yeah, get out of here. <laughs>
2: but it crossed over because I mean, like Cheryl Crow covered it, and it was a big hit for her. You know? Yeah, right. You no, know? I mean, it. it everyone kind of liked this song, and because you knew it as soon as you heard it then it's you know it's kind of part of the zeitgeist and everyone is familiar with this one
4: it's it's the song it's the one song though that personally for me i could do without it now and some guns and roses fans will agree some will be like what are you talking about mm-hmm. are you nuts it's uh i'd like it but to me i'm kind of over it in the sense that um, <laughs>
2: like me with Paradise City I get it man. yeah assimil-
4: Yeah, everybody's got their own kind of song that they could probably say on the album is like you know what overplayed whatever to me it's just it's just um, I prefer everything else on the album above it now mm-hmm. um, looking back now like if you, you know in 1988 i would not have said that in a million years because sure. this was like i played the hell out of this song for a couple of years Of course, but now when i go back and listen to this album obviously my tastes have matured the rest of it i get more into the deeper cuts and this is one that i'm like i will probably if it comes up i may skip it sometimes right Mm-hmm. Or I may, yeah. I may have it. I may, I may listen to it. But uh, just a brilliantly composed song, brilliantly played. Again, the video was excellent, right? It kind of played to everybody. It was on MTV and Much Music. It seems like endlessly on a loop. But uh, you know, probably if you talk to the to a casual Guns N' Roses fan, this is probably their best song right? Like, this would be the song that probably, someone who yeah. isn't a yeah. massive GNR fan, Sweet Child of Mine, is like, if you ask them, what's what's your favorite Guns N' Roses song, or what's their best track, it's probably this one.
2: It'll certainly make their top three. I got a, I got a pretty good feeling, yeah. I think you're right yeah. about that. Now, see, to me, that, and this album's a little long. It's like 54, 55 minutes, which, you know, it, thanks to CDs, you could make records a little bit longer back then. Most of the albums we review from, like, the 70s and even the early 80s, between like 35 yeah. and 43 minutes. So this is long, which means great, you get more music. To me, though, these last three, although there's some good stuff on here, I don't love these last three songs. And if they had not put any of them on the album and shortened the album by that much, I still think it would still be amazing. Interesting.
1: Um, that's well, that's, that's just some, me. Yeah, we're going to have some disagreements here in a minute. That's good. It I like probably, that. That's,
2: yeah. that's what we're here okay. for. Let's get into your crazy. I I
1: I heard this song to me when I first had this. It was okay. This was this was kind of the throwaway one, you know. We Mm -hmm. you know, until I heard it on Lies, and the Lies version is a million times better. It's slower. It's nastier. It's acoustic. The, to me, the, yeah, this is kind of, yeah, it, it's just, it's got more cursing in it, which I love. Um, and it's, yeah, it, I think they did a much better job on it. To me, this almost sounds like they needed another song and they're like, they kind of had it kicking around. They're like, here, just put this on there. It's it's real, you know, after Sweet Child of Mine, it's, uh, it, this is kind of the train picks back up again. I mean, it, it's fast, it's hard. It's not a bad song. It's just, I mean, if you could have gotten rid of anyone on this one, it would have been that one.
2: What do you think, Chris?
4: I'm of the same opinion that the live version for me, I like the song, uh, but the live version for me, uh, uh, the acoustic version, is a thousand times better. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see them play it in that way live. I think it would be fantastic. Yeah. But uh, it's, you know, to me, it's. it's again. It's one of those album cuts that now, if I listen to this album now, mm-hmm. I appreciate this song much more, and I actually enjoy it much more than I did back in the day. Absolutely, when I was listening to this album in 1988, I probably didn't. I probably lifted the needle or pressed fast forward <laughs> after this one, and actually, I probably jumped right to Rocket Queen and skipped right over Anything Goes. Go. But it's it's one now that I think I have a much. Deeper appreciation for, and I enjoy it when it comes on. Like I'll, I'll be like, you know what, they, it's a little bit different. And uh, after a song like Sweet Child of Mine, it kind of fits where it does on the record, but that live version, oh man,
2: absolutely. I, I agree with you as far as it fits where it does on the record, right after Sweet Child, because it's pretty no. thrashy, and, and I no. feel that uh, uh, Slash's solo is Motorheadish. You know, it's it's pretty heavy of course he's dropping f-bombs here's the thing when i was a teenager when i hear you're fucking crazy i thought that was cool as hell it hasn't aged that well for me i don't like it as much as i remember liking it back in the day Uh, and and i think i think that and it's it's a little to me the song sounds a little scattershot and i think jackson's right like they needed another tune maybe they didn't quite finish it as much because you're right the lies version is better it's like we yep. finally worked this into what it should and could be. Right. So yeah, I'm I'm just I'm not a huge fan, nor am I an enormous fan of the next one. Anything goes. What is that? Is that a washboard at the beginning? What are they doing
1: there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The, the, the thing that I like about this is that this kind of aged a little bit better for me because I know this is one of the old, like Hollywood Rose tunes. Yes. So they kind of, you know, you can think about them playing this back in the original days. I always liked the theme in this one. Like, this is going down my way, your way, anything goes, whatever. Let's go. Come on. Here we go. Yeah, just left, left over from the club days. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a great thing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. They said something about what name something that's sounds insane but it's true and tracy guns posted i'm the guns from guns and roses so i don't you know just the just the the old oh i saw that yes yeah yeah i'm like that you know what that is right i don't know how that would have gone with him instead of slash we'll never know but he figured out what everybody else would figure out in the future that it's really hard to work with (laughs) axel Yeah, he got in on it early That's right. <laughs> Correct. but yeah uh, to me that that adds to the mystique of this song just that it's one of the old club songs
4: right yeah for me it's uh it's you know this honestly this album is the greatest hits album right like it's yeah. it's it's one of those ones that will kind of always be looked at that way and this one you know I don't have a lot to say about it just because it uh, it didn't it never really landed on my radar in terms of one that uh, again now, yes i mm-hmm. have an appreciation for it and i'm like yeah it's a cool track back then forget about it like i said i would have right. skipped over this on my record player and dropped the needle on rocket queen which is killer but anything goes as one you know if there's two songs on this album that i would have dropped off it would have been to again shorten it mm-hmm. and uh and make it a little bit more concise it would have been this and probably uh, think about you
0: yeah
2: Oh, really? Okay. Well, because yep. this one's down and dirty and sleazy. I actually like Slash's talk box guitar on here. And there's a little bit of back and forth between him and Izzy, kind of like trading licks a little bit, which I always like, you know, very Judas yep. Priest or Iron Maiden, but not as, you know, crazy and, and you know, insane thrashing, just, just really cool stuff on there. I think it would have been a good one for Sorum to be on because Adler kind of had this cool swing that kind of helped shape the sound, but Sorum was a straight-ahead badass rock drummer, and I think yeah. he would have added a little something to this song that maybe Steven didn't. It's just my opinion. Interesting.
0: Okay. It
2: also kind of devolves a little bit at the end, and I'm like, yeah, this is them just finishing it up, trying to put something together on the panel. <laughs> right. <laughs> But let's get to Rocket Queen, because this is an infamously famous song. Oh my God, And obviously yes. you love this one, Chris. Get us into it.
4: Well, wow, this this one, to me, is a perfect finisher for the album, right? Like, it, it's it just, it's such a, well, it's such a filthy song, right? Filthy. Like, <laughs> it kind of sums up everything this album kind of was about, right? With the, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the sleaze, and <laughs> let's, I mean, We'll get right to the chase mm-hmm. and talk about you know <laughs> what they recorded in the studio, yep. Axel and uh, whoever the girl was that he brought in, and you know the break on Rocket Queen. It's yep. actually going on.
2: <laughs> yep. yep.
4: Legend has it. Yes. Legend has it, and uh, you know it's again thinking about like this the music out at the time and what was what was out there, and this album comes out, and you know all these songs, and you you get into this song and man, Mm -hmm. this is just, like, in your face. This is who we are. This is what we do. It sounds sleazy. It is sleazy. And it's one of, I think, the better deep cuts on this album that is, if you ask, like, a real Guns N' Roses fan, Mm -hmm. like, give me an example of a song you think represents these guys really well. To me, this is one of them. It's just, like, yes. And it's a song, too, that, you know, you don't want your parents hearing. I'm going to play this loud, and I love it.
1: Right. (laughs) This is, to me, this is the best song on the record. This oh, the wow. Greatest. I love this song wow. so much. The beginning part with Steven Adler's drum part, it's intricate, and he kind of sets the tone for it. And then Axl Rose comes in with just the attack vocals. If I say I don't mean anyone and say these things to you. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic. You go into it. You know, uh, it's just it's nasty. Just the with the venom that's coming out of yeah. his voice, and then you get that thing in the, in the middle. Yes, the the sexual part is it's fantastic to hear. As it, I mean, it's still great today, but <laughs> back then. But then at the end, when he goes into it, changes gears at the end and slows down, and he really he's belting it out, and it changes from being nasty to like it's almost like this guy who sees this woman like doing crazy things. And like, he actually like cares about this person. You know, the, uh, the only thing I wanted yeah. is to know that I still care at the end, I'm like, Oh, that changed. Oh, we changed gears on that. And just the, it, the high register at the end, it really, it really just kind of showcases the band. And there's a couple of tracks. There's a couple of YouTube videos of Adler playing this fairly recently. And just to see the joy on his face, I really wish they could work it out where he could be, you know, there for some of it. He he, yeah, he's like if they're gonna play wasted, the old
2: stuff,
4: dude. He needs, yeah. yeah he can't. He had a stroke, right? He had a
2: stroke. Yeah, he can't walk so, and chew gum, man. He, he's in bad, no, bad shape.
4: Which is too bad. I, I think this... I think he's
1: doing a lot better now. There's no. They said there's because they asked him like, well, why don't you have Steve? Like they can't take him on tour. They won't they even
2: take, take Matt Sorum, anymore. and he's still awesome. You know they're not no, going to take Steve straight. Madler.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's too bad. He really, he really was a huge part of the early the, the this record, and I think he gets to showcase it on this on this track, and that that's why I like it. And, and to your point before, it was. Um, it's just, it's a, it, it, your point, Chris, it's one of those ones where if you'd never heard it before, yeah, a hey, uh, Guns N' Roses fan would say, you got to hear this. And, exactly. and he say, why have I never, I mean, obviously the, you know, there's the parts that they could never play on the radio, but yeah, it, it's just a great track and I love it.
2: Okay. All right. So here's where the difference
1: comes. Oh boy. Uh-oh. Okay, do it. Okay.
2: I think it's great that it starts with a cool groove. It's got a groove yeah. to it at the beginning. Yeah. You know, it sounds good gets into his sleazy rock lyrics, and you hear, yeah. we think it's Ariana Smith, or Adriana Smith, who was a stripper, who kind of dated Steven, who Axel says, I need you to do this. She's like, okay, I'll do it for the band and for a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah, yeah. Like, that sounds right. And, and at the time when I heard that story back in the day in high school, I'm like, that's so rock and roll. That's so cool. <laughs> I wish I was a rock star. But I'm listening to this thing. There's this break in the middle that's very arena rock, but it just doesn't seem to fit it just seems to slow down with the ringing guitars. It's like okay. there are two songs that were both unfinished and they kind of mashed it together. And then, um, yeah, it's got her moaning. It's got her moaning, but it's, it's not like him really moaning in Welcome to the Jungle, where he's going, ah, ah. You can really hear that. You really have to listen for it. Whereas I remember it when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, that was all I could hear. was this girl, like, getting it, you know, in the studio. (laughs) And now it's like it's not even there. It's kind of like an afterthought. And I'm like, between that being kind of, you know, it's it's a little gimmicky. I mean, it's cool, dirty rock and roll gimmicky, but it's still gimmicky. You're smashing two songs together. I remember loving this song. Like, dude, let's let's sneak over and listen to Rocket Queen. Now I'm like, it's still very just kind of – It's very much the essence of Guns N' Roses, but I gotta tell you, I don't really like the song that much anymore.
1: Okay, well, that's why we're here. If we're not here to agree on everything, that would just, that would not be very much fun. But yeah, I remember late, yeah, it was like, oh, Put it on. Is anything your mom home? No. Exactly. It's, yeah. Okay, cool. Crank it up. Because yeah, yeah if had, anybody ever heard that, they'd be like, okay, right. I'm that's going in the trash. Yeah. Well,
2: we'll listen to NWA next. Let's just listen to Rocket Club. Real
4: fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's it's a it, like I get it. I get where you're going with that, Mac. It's mm-hmm. uh it's certainly, you know, it's a distinct song with the like you said, the two different almost parts to it, but mm-hmm. it's I, l- I love the, c- the complexity of that though, and the way like so many of these songs on this album. Like again, this is another what six minute song. Yeah, that has yeah. so much going on musically that you really you, you take it as one whole piece, and you're like, wow, these guys were like brilliant song crafters yeah. and writers. Yeah, and some of this stuff is just like mind blowing. You think about, especially the condition they were in. <laughs> exactly recording and writing a lot of this stuff that uh that this one to me is just like it puts it over it puts this album over the top and ends it i think perfectly i don't think you could have picked a better song back in the day when you actually you know would sit down and lay out the album and decide which order the tracks were in which doesn't happen anymore we talk about it all the time on right the show. yeah yeah it's, it's such a it's such a huge thing that you actually had some thought into okay what are we going to go with as the first song you know bury some stuff in the middle and then end like this is just i think the you know the icing on the cake for this album it ends it on like this is who we are Mm -hmm. bam in your face (laughs) drop the mic (laughs) yes we're out
2: and somehow like don't cry in november rain they were in the air, but they weren't ready for this album, right? Like, they, they held yeah. on to those for a couple of years and put those on the next one. I'm like, God, that's kind of amazing. They had those Which, ready.
4: When you, right, <laughs> when you think back that, like, I think Estranged was in there, too, mm-hmm. as, like, all these tracks that they had written that showed up on Use Your Illusion that were actually, like, you know, potentially going to be selected for this. It, when I heard that years later, it blew my mind because – you know, those, those songs on the Illusion albums, you know, Axel wanted to go in a whole different direction. Right. So it's, I actually, am I would be really curious. It would have been amazing to see the difference had they recorded a couple of those for this album. Like what would have November rain actually sounded like on appetite for destruction? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? it could be like very how different. How different would it have been? Yeah. But, anyways, yeah, it's, uh, it's mind blowing when you think of the amount of material they had written at this time. And then considering they ended up having really essentially three studio albums and they were done.
0: Yeah.
4: Like, it makes me wonder what else is out there, maybe, that they've already, yeah. you know, any any stuff involved. that might have, right? Up, and I'm sure they've got stuff that would have been written in 85, 86, 87 mm-hmm. that they haven't actually. You know, it's in, a, it's in a vault somewhere in demo form. Yeah. It'd be interesting let's, to see what was out there. Probably yeah. been in
2: $10 million with lawsuits over the years of, like, who owns it, who yeah, gets, right. who gets exactly. rights to it, all that
1: kind of stuff. All
2: right. Are you guys ready to rank these from 12 to 1?
1: Ooh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. All do right. it. All,
4: all right. right. Why not?
2: We'll go. Guess first, Chris, then Jackson, then me.
4: Okay.
2: Number 12.
4: Okay. Number 12 for me is Anything Goes. And for all the reasons I talked about just a minute ago, it's just a song for me that's, you know, doesn't, doesn't, I appreciate it. It's not one that I'm going to seek out and listen to on the album. I'll play it if it, if I'm listening to it in, in track order. But for me, it's uh, it's one of the ones that if we were cutting this album down to 10 and making it a bit shorter, mm-hmm. I would sacrifice this one.
1: I would say if you're talking about sacrifice, I would say you're crazy because again, I'd, I'd skip it. I listen to the live version. Um, So that's my number 12.
2: You guys are going to freak out. Number 12, Uh Rocket Queen.
1: (laughs) Oh, head on the chopping block right off the
2: bat. I know, I know, (laughs) I know, I know. That's Um, all right. All right, number 11, number 11.
4: Number 11 for me would be Think About You. And that's that's the only two that I'm dropping from this album. You drop those two to me, this is a front-to-back, 10 songs, greatest hits album. And they don't have to release anything ever again. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: yeah, and they almost. did
4: agree. I would say. I would say that's
1: my eleven also, only because it's not a bad song. It's just kind oh. of a throwaway. It's just right. You're right. It's you know you could you could have dropped that, tightened it up, and it would have been it would have been okay.
4: Yeah, nobody would have been the wiser. Right. You?
2: For me, it's it's your crazy. Uh, you're number twelve, Jackson. Just uh, it's not it's not their best effort on the album, in my opinion. What's number
0: ten?
4: I, number ten for me would be You're crazy as well. Again, the live version, hands down, hundred percent better. And that one for me is uh, is kind of like the the deepest, deep cut on the album. Good song, decent song, but it's uh, it's my lowest ranking of the ten.
1: Yeah, I think my ten's going to be anything goes. Again, a great song, but it, it, to me, it was just kind of a filler on this deal. I don't hate it, but I don't. You know, I've got ones I love way more than this.
2: I, I'm with you on it. Jackson, anything goes is my number ten. It's got some different guitar stuff on it, which I appreciate, but it's just not as listenable as the other stuff to me.
0: Yeah,
2: number nine.
4: Okay, this is good. This is this is now getting really hard. Yes, okay. exactly. So this is, <laughs> and you know what? These could change
2: from day to day. I understand
4: for yeah. me, um, but these songs, all of these songs now, are in my opinion, excellent songs. I love all of them and it's going to be really tough to rank (laughs) where these all fit. So for, for number nine, I would probably go with my Michelle and again, excellent song. And based on the strength of all the other songs, I'm just going to sit at number
1: nine. Okay. Let's see. I would say probably, I would say my number nine is probably out to get me. I mean, again, it's, it's, this is hard because they're all so great, but this is one that when I would listen to it, like when I look in the order of this thing, so it's night train out to get me and Mister Brownstone. Basically, I'm just waiting to get to the next track. I'm not going to skip <laughs> it, but it's like okay, okay, yeah, let's let's go on to the next one. Right.
2: Um, I actually put it's so easy as my number nine. I mean, it, like you say, once you get to this point, it's a lot harder, and it's 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 going to be little things. And for you know for whatever reason, I actually put uh, not to foreshadow too much, but out to get me is my eight. And those two probably could have easily been flip-flop, but that's, that's where yep. we are for me. What about you guys on eight?
4: Um, number eight for me is Sweet Child of Mine. Uh, as I mentioned when we were discussing the track in depth, mm-hmm. it's, to me, the song on the album that I've just heard so many times that I could do with or without it. Brilliant song. They're only number one, obviously, for a reason, because it connects with everyone. I'm not going to listen to it as much as I did back in the day. It's... But obviously it's still a great song because it, it falls at number eight for me. But uh, I think all the other ones that are going to come ahead of it are, are a little bit better.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, I would say probably for me, It's So Easy would be number eight. I mean, uh, again, it's a it's a great one. It's sandwiched in there. It, it's uh, Going back over, it really hasn't aged that well. So that's why I would kind of put that a little bit farther down on the, on the roster.
2: And that's why I put out To Get Me Down There. It's kind of an outlaw yeah. song, but it's kind of like, yeah, you, you – you were a bad kid, Axel. They, they were out to yeah. get you cause you were doing bad things.
0: <laughs> um,
2: n- num- number seven. This should get even more interesting here.
4: Oh, it's getting interesting for sure. Um, I'm going to put out to get me at number seven. I love, I love the song and it would probably move up or down a bit depending on where I'm at with, uh, what I'm listening to currently, but I love, I actually love Axel's vocals on this. It's, it's, uh, it's a great performance from him. And, uh, And one that I think, you know, like you said earlier, it's really like that teenage, like everyone's out to get me and Mm -hmm. I'm fighting back against it, but it's Great track. So number seven is OTF.
1: Okay. My, mine would be Sweet Child of Mine. I gotta I gotta put that in there for what you were saying before, Chris. It's a great song. It's just it's not my cup of tea and it's been played a thousand I mean, I could probably just close my eyes and listen to the whole thing without having the music on. I've heard it so many times.
0: Agreed.
4: Agreed.
2: Fair enough. What was it? Oh uh seven. Well, I put my Michelle uh in seven, you know. Good good song. What's number six, gents?
4: i'm gonna i'm gonna drop in number six it's so easy so we're all i think we've all kind of had it in that middle space or a little bit lower good song again to your point it's one of those ones that you know lyrically it's you know it's probably not aged as well as some of the others Mm -hmm. but you know it's still a, a fantastic song and if you're listening to this album as one whole piece it's it's one that i'm definitely not skipping over for sure number six
1: Cool. Okay, my six would be my Michelle. We're gonna we're gonna slide that in there. I I really like this. It doesn't it doesn't pack the firepower of the of the other other tracks that are gonna come after it. But it's it, but it's still a great track.
2: I'm putting Paradise City all the way down at number six.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And that's honestly it's it it's it's because it is the one to me that's been played way too much. And if you think about it, the first lines are great, but. After that, is it? Is, are the lyrics any really good after that? No, they kind of repeat the same ones over and over again, especially when they're going yep. fast at the end. And it, so it's like it's the same song twice. Only the second time, it's like they did a ton of coke and they just can't stop themselves.
1: <laughs> Which they may have, right?
2: So I mean, maybe uh, not a bad song. Obviously, they have to play it, and I bet it's a lot of fun to close the show with. But uh, that's where I rank it, number six. All right, top five, gents. Yeah.
4: Oh, the top five are again getting harder and even more interchangeable oh i would probably throw mr brownstone at number five had no idea when i was 17 what this song was really about like we <laughs> talked about before and uh man brilliant right like let's write mm-hmm. a song about heroin and addiction and <laughs> how we love it uh but yeah it's it's again i could probably rank this depending on where i'm at as high as number three or two even and it's one of my favorites on the album
1: okay i would say that would say i'm going to put paradise city in there just to kind of get it, it probably after thinking about it, it probably should have been a little bit lower, but to your point back, just the, I mean, it's a great Anthem song, yeah. but there's really not a lot of content in there. So yeah, that's, that's going five
2: and five for me. Think about you. I know okay. you guys would leave it off the album. Wow. But, but to me and it honestly back in 1988 wouldn't have made my top 10 either. No. But but in listening to it back now because it is different because I know the hits so well and I know a lot of the deep tracks really well. This is the one that I kind of rediscovered and in listening to it a couple times like this is better and it's different. It's just different because because Izzy was basically gone after use your illusion. Done a lot of solo stuff that I've never heard. It makes me wonder I wonder if there's some Izzy stuff out there that I need to go discover because this one's not bad.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I would bet you're probably right. he never had any big hits, but I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, there, there's no way he could have come up with all of this stuff and then just dropped off. the It, it, it never had another song. So I think you're right. He, I'm sure he's got catalog stuff in there you'd want to hear.
2: Just the fun. Just the fun. Okay. That's
4: so a where great are we song, now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: number four.
4: Number four. Well, number four for me is going to be Paradise City. I still love the song. I still love the song. I know you guys have it a little bit lower for the reasons (laughs) we talked about. But this one for me is still, you know, I think if you're, maybe if you're more of the casual Guns N' Roses fan, you probably rate this higher. And for the reason that it's like, they're kind of epic, like we talked about. This is who we are live. You know, this is our anthem. Mm-hmm. This is the anthem song for Guns N' Roses that was a big hit. And I still really like, you know, how this song progresses. That great kind of quieter start, and you know, threw into the really heavy part. And uh, this is, again, a top top five for me. I think in any ranking, any day you'd ask me, I'd include it as a top five. So number four, Paradise City. Very good. Okay. I'm
1: going to go four, Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, I, I love it. It's a great song. I, I definitely had more of appreciation for it now, going back and listening to it. But I, I've there are others that I like better than this.
2: That's fair enough. Yeah, I understand. For me, it's Mr. Brownstone. I, I remember listening to it as a kid thinking, oh, man, I don't want to get into what they're into. But I'm digging You know what's coming out of it, this tune. And it, it's still it could serve as a warning if you took it that way. Um, sure. so, uh, I just think it's, it's heavy and it's, uh, and it's real. So I'm putting Mr. Brownstone number four.
4: Oh boy. We're into, we're into the top yep. three now. Yeah. Number three is going to be our, uh, our track we talked about just a minute ago, rocket queen. Oh, wow. Which again, I think is, uh, you know, to a real serious Guns N' Roses fan, it's like, yes, this is like the down and dirty GNR that I love. And, you know, the, the complexity of the song and what we talked about with kind of almost two different songs. I think it actually works beautifully meshed together with that crazy intro uh, interlude in the middle. And this is one that I, again, will probably include in my top five. Every time, Every it's time. not falling. It's not falling much lower.
1: Okay, number three for me is Mr. Brownstone. I, I just I like the way it sounds. This was probably my first track that I liked, like the deep track. Once you got off the singles, and yeah, just just the cautionary tale, but also like you know, I mean, they do a lot of heroin, but they're still pretty cool, and they get to do a lot of fun things, and could it couldn't really be that bad. I mean, it kind of sounds like it's pretty cool. Don't ever do it, but if you. I don't know. I love it. Yeah, it's just—it's just like it. It's like, like I said, it's like you've got this friend. I know this guy, and he's crazy, and he does a lot of crazy things, but he lives this crazy lifestyle. And I can, for a minute, I can be in that in that world with him.
2: Fair enough. For me, it's night train, man. Love love this song. I mean,
0: great one.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, I think uh, some rock magazine—what was Kerrang or somebody—it was like. Top 10, you know, drinking songs of all time. This was like number eight or something like that. I'm like, yeah, everyone's kind of been there at one point or another, you know. So, yeah, I'll I'll take Night Train number three.
4: It's a great song, and that's why it's number two for me. I think it was a great choice as the last single in North America. We talked about it being, you know, kind of thrown out there before in the UK. But this is a song about cheap. Line? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> right? Like, amazing. But it's, it's, uh, I think it's, it's going to maybe sound weird. I think it could be like a, one of their, to me, one of their signature songs. Yeah. Just and again, it's right because it's, it's again, taking that experience, what they were doing at the time and, you know, this is who Guns N' Roses are. We part, we booze like nobody else did back in the day. Yeah, And I think this is, if I remember correctly, I think this plays usually in their set list kind of around the end.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. their set
4: list or as an encore song. And I think it's a, for many reasons, I think it's probably a good choice for that. So Night Train number two.
1: I would say Night Train number two for me also. I love the the whole thing about, you know, the, the drinking and everything, that's awesome. But to me that the riff is great it's really heavy it's straight ahead and what i love too is and we didn't talk about this before duff when he kind of he he's doubling or, or he's doubling the the rhythm part of that boom 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 down underneath he didn't get enough credit for for what he does on the bass and then the Ready to crash and burn, just that again, like that, yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, we're gonna get some nitrate. Not really gonna drink nitrate because you I think you will go blind. Yeah, uh, probably It's so bad. But yeah, just that like, yeah, like I I've there's part of me that wants to do that and just be this badass rock and roll guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: Love it. And for right, me. Number two. number two, number two, gotta go with sweet child. The opening alone. I just can't deny its presence in my brain and in pop culture, especially for that summer or two. It's 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 big time. I mean it's it's definitive Guns N' Roses, kinda of the epitome of Guns N' Roses sound. And I I'll put it at number two. Good choice. Which leaves.
4: Ooh, drum roll number one. Well, number one is in my opinion their signature song and the song that defines them it's my favorite Guns N' Roses song Uh, quite obviously it's Welcome to the Jungle and if you ask me or you know many other fans probably that have this ranked number one as well it's the song that encapsulates Guns N' Roses what they're about Mm -hmm. what they do who they are the best like I said at the outset that intro I think is absolutely a top five all time and when it delves right into the, the main riff and you get going like when that song comes on anywhere I will still crank the volume oh, yes. up in the car oh, yes. yep. you know even I'll stop I'll hear it like you know you might hear it somewhere at, it's played at sporting events a lot but it'll actually stop and I'll be like I'll wait I'm like ah yeah there it is there's Jungle. the beginning yeah. here we go and I have that yep. moment of like yeah this is it
1: I will have to tell you that if they play it at a sporting event, I get upset because I'm like, I want to hear the whole thing. I don't want to hear yeah. just the beginning and never going back to the game again. Let's just that, that's a valid point. Just, okay, everybody, let's just take four minutes and thirty-one seconds out of the game and rock, and out. Just
4: rock yeah. out. Yeah, you'll thank me for that. Does this does that song like so for me? If I want to, if I'm seeing them live, like I want to hear that song as the first song. You, you but know. I think it probably shows up in the. I don't know where it is in their live set list now, whether it's an encore song, because usually they leave the big, big stuff for the end. But I think still, I think they should open every show with Welcome to the Jungle.
1: Yeah, because you want it to be... You want it to be the house, you know they're doing whatever, and then yeah. the house lights go down, and then you kind of hear like it's not really the beginning, but they kind of because I know like Slash will just tease it a little bit.
4: Yes. Blah,
1: blah, 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 blah. And so you, ah, oh, here it comes, and then yeah, then you crank it up. Yeah, that would that would get the show going like nothing else. Exactly. Well, for my number one, I already tipped it before, so it's Rocket Queen. I I love it because it's got different parts to it. It's it's got a great everybody's just playing their their balls off on this one it is it is a little strange now think about that it it does seem like it's it it does have a pretty hard right turn but i just love the. i love the nasty part at the beginning and almost the as much as he can muster sweet part of axl rose at the end he gets to sing in the high register and it's almost to me like at the end of it is like he's trying to communicate with this person who like is just not you know I, i give up you know, like, I just, I, this is what I wanted. I can't do it, so, you know, whatever, I'm leaving. And so it's a great deep track. I think if you haven't heard it before, if you just stuck to the hits, it, it's, it's you missed out on it. So that's why I love yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Agreed.
2: Well, and, of course, very chalky, but my number one is Welcome to the Jungle. Just the best, like, echoing everything you say, Chris. It, if you're going to say what is Guns N' Roses about, how do they put it into one song? This is it, you know. And even the video, even with Axel's teased hair, it was just such <laughs> a great way to introduce the band to to America and to the world. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that they do open with it, but I do think it's early in their set because you, you kind of have to, don't you? I mean, you're welcoming them, you know, to the show. It, it's it's got great Slash work on there. It's got great little pieces on it. Killer, killer, Guns N' Roses.
1: We had talked uh, or I talk a lot about making my time machine uh, working on that. One of the things that I would definitely be on the on the list of things to do is to see them at yes. like the, the whiskey or the Roxy or something like right before they broke. you know 86 or even 87, just a club show with them would be phenomenal. So to anybody who actually got to go to those shows, good for you. Uh, definitely a moment in time that they were uh, they were all on point. <laughs>
2: gotcha. You want to tell us uh, where people can find us on Twitter or you know what you're up to, that kind of thing?
4: Yeah, sure. So I am on Twitter obviously, my rock and roll heaven at rock these tweets and uh, do all kinds of music related uh, content and delve into great discussions in the Twitter community about rock and roll with fine gentlemen like yourself also on Instagram. Uh, My Rock and Roll Heaven, and Facebook as well, which I need to get back into uh, doing a little bit more on Facebook. And uh, currently, as I mentioned, I'm a little bit of a hired gun out there in the podcast world, guesting on shows like yourselves, but uh, have some things in the works that I'll be uh, hopefully announcing as we get into 2022 in terms of a podcast from myself. Um, But it's been great to be on the show, and I appreciate your invite. This was a ton of fun. We'll obviously have to do something again.
2: You bet. You bet. You bet. Absolutely. No, no, we've had a lot of fun. Obviously, you have great passion for it. You've got great knowledge. You're easy to talk to. And, yeah, I mean, the other shows that you've been on, Def Leap Pod, The Hooks Rocks with Jay, those are great shows, you know. So I love that we're – we love having our little show, but I love that we are able to meet folks like you who have shared this passion and this knowledge and don't just want to keep it to yourself, or you know, your wife doesn't care, she doesn't want to know anymore. You got to share it with somebody, exactly.
1: right? <laughs> That's the bit. you hit it the nail on the head, right there. Exactly, yeah, there's nothing better than having that conversation. Like, something comes on the radio, hey, did you know that they recorded that? No, I don't care, be quiet. <laughs> right. yeah.
4: all, the, all the little trivia used to be out, but, yeah. you spew, correct? Yeah, yeah. There's a, as you said, there's a great community of uh people out there that love rock music, and there's a, great podcasts out there and uh, kudos to you guys for for getting this going, getting your podcast going. And I love the the variety of material you have on there is fantastic. So lots of good things to come from, from you gentlemen. I have to ask though, where did the ugly American in London podcast name come from
2: yeah I I came up with a name right before I moved and it was kind of a motley crew thing it's like if we have a famous name we're already famous and so you put the ugly gotcha. American which is a kind of common turn of phrase and it, you you can see me though the listeners can't I might fit the bill and then there's American werewolf in London so you put those two together it sounds like something you've heard before although it's, uh, yeah. it's really kind of unique to our show
4: brilliant excellent
2: well thank you sir and you know have a great week and we will definitely have you back anytime
4: awesome thanks guys
1: appreciate it appreciate it thank you Well, that
2: wraps episode number 63 on Guns N' Roses' amazing debut, Appetite for Destruction, which really kind of took the world by storm. Though not right away, right? I mean, it didn't come straight out of the charts, right out of the gate. It took a year. It took a little buildup. It took a little nudge from David Geffen. It took a little help from MTV. It took some touring behind some bands who would eventually tour for them. I mean, I think they opened for the Cult who eventually opened for them, you know, just a year or so later. So this was their first step on becoming the biggest and most dangerous band in the world before they basically fizzled out and went away for more than two decades until finally, and I think it was 2015, Slash and Duff joined back up with Axel and they went on to tour for several years in the Not In This Lifetime tour, which netted them over half a billion dollars, one of the biggest tours of all time. And we have to thank Chris, our buddy from the Great White North in Canada, for coming on. Super guy, super knowledgeable, someone who loves rock and roll music the way Jackson and I do. you know. And he's been on lots of different podcasts over the years. He has a great Twitter following, at Rock These Tweets. I encourage you guys to check him out and follow him and see what he's up to. And hopefully... We'll be with him here again real soon. Now, as usual, we want to know, do we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? You have to let us know. Please tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And you can tweet us, you can DM us, you can tell us which bands, which albums, which rock and roll stories you want us to cover. Now, coming up next week, we think, right? Guns N' Roses was supposed to come out a week earlier, but life intervened, and we put the Neil Young Show on first. I believe, next week, we're going to talk about a Tom Petty album that not everybody remembers. It's called Long After Dark. came out in 1982, so it'll be celebrating its 40th anniversary later this year. It had a big hit with You Got Lucky, which was all over MTV. But that was kind of it as far as the charts were concerned. It wasn't one of his multi-platinum selling albums. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on with Tom at the time that we'll talk about on the show. So with that, Rock and Rollers, hey, we thank you. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review and let us know about it. If we, I can't see everything, so if you let me know and send it to us, we'll probably read it on the air, especially if you put it on Good Pods, which is a great way for indie podcasters and their listeners to connect. So with that, until next time, Rock and Rollers all around the world, Be cool and stay safe.
3: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football